Hey guys, what's up? It's week 263, and let's start this off with the contest drawing for Robotrix. Now, you guys basically, all the people that enter, and the Patreons and everything like that, the patrons. So what I'm going to do is I put everybody's uh, name on a list. Sorry about that. I'm pulling out the sheet right now. All the contributors and all the people with extra lit, uh, entries and all that good stuff. And I'm going to randomize it. On a, on a website, on a little thing here. It's already on there. I tested it a couple times, if you can see. And we're going to see who wins the Robotrix. Now, I'm being kind of quick with this because I've talked about this contest for a while. So, here we go. And the winner is 20. Let's see who number 20 is. And it is Tone Joker. So, I believe I have your address already because uh, you're a patron, a patron one. Congratulations. And I will send it to you ASAP. If you have any change of address, shoot me a message on Patreon. If I don't hear from you in a while, I'll contact you. So since we have such a full episode, lots of reviews, we're going to go over the 1980s stuff. Yeah, just a slew of stuff. I'm also going to read your questions, comments, and stuff like that. So let's hop into the first review. And boy, oh boy, it's a super weird movie. Um, so it is from Mondo Macabro, so that's definitely a sign of weird quality. That's pretty much what they do. And it is Strangler versus Strangler. With, uh, which is the most bizarre title, obviously. The case is super bizarre. Uh, what country is this from? I want to make sure. Um, Serbian. It's in Serbian, but I believe it was Belgrade. Whatever beforehand. I can't think of anything like that. The country obviously changed and all that stuff. So, anyways, uh, 1984. And I had heard of this movie briefly, only only in passing, because uh, what I do is I, I like to go down master lists on Letterboxd and Internet Movie Database. I search horror films, and I go down and make master lists of all the years and stuff that I'm interested in. Um, so, Strangler vs. Strangler popped up at one point, and I was thinking, that sounds like such a weird oddity. And it's one of those titles that you'll, I'll never be able to, this never will get a release. And of course, Mondo announced it, and I was like, oh wow, this is going to be pretty exciting. So I popped this in, and as the title suggests, this is a, a very bizarre horror comedy. And uh, right away, it has narration that says, uh, Belgrade was never going to be a major metropolis, no matter how many people they had. No, how, What makes a metropolis? They bring up this question. They say, is it all these factors, the crime? And then they said, no. The only thing that makes a metropolis a metropolis, that solidifies it, is a strangler or a serial killer so it's just such a bizarre idea and it just opens up and i can't think of exactly what it says it says something absolutely bonkers and then like really violent and it says a comedy and you're like okay we know exactly what we're getting into so structurally it's a little different um how it unfolds we kind of witness the murders and everything of the strangler and then we kind of rewind and see how they became that um and the title suggests that there's obviously more than one strangler in this movie technically there is three people that strangle so um we have the main character here who is a carnation salesman. He goes around the streets at night and he tries to sell carnations. He has kind of a Norman Bates, you know, Joe, uh, Frank Zito kind of complex where his mother kind of is pulling, controlling him and sending him out to sell these carnations. They're out of style. So he gets a lot of insults. So uh, fairly quickly, he realizes he can't stand women that hate carnations. Um, so <laughs> this is the, it's the weirdest trigger for a, a maniac since Red to Kill, right? Um, anyways, what happens is he ends up strangling a woman one night and decides that it's kind of like he, he, he doesn't remember. 
And, and we know this because there's a, a narration throughout the entire movie, kind of, you know, I guess smoothing out the bizarre uh, parts of this story. Um, so uh, eventually there is a famous kind of rock singer who makes a song about the Belgrade Strangler. And the Strangler hears it and he starts to get interested in the song and everything like that. But the thing is, the singer claims to have a psychic bond with the Strangler. And he also has issues with women. So we have these two kind of Stranglers. Um, and now one doesn't ever kind of go the complete way. Without, I don't want to spoil the entire story. But one is infatuated with a serial killer and feels like he has a psychic bond. And their paths are definitely and across. So, uh, yeah, there's also a kind of slapsticky kind of detective on the case who is losing his grip on reality and he starts to get more insane as it, as it goes on. Um, there isn't, it's not graphically gory, uh, throughout the entire film, but there's a couple bits, um, that were pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, it, it just has a wicked sense of humor that, uh, it, it genuinely makes you laugh because the stuff that the strangler says is just absolutely hilarious. And, and there's a really great moment, uh, where, they have like a police interrogation where they have all the the suspects lined up, and it's just uh, it's something special to be honest. Like I caught myself laughing and just shaking my head and like just wondering who the hell made this. And and they do have a really great special feature with the director, an interview with the director, and he kind of talks about it, why he decided to make this kind of movie. And it's one of these kind of York Buckaret stories, not with censorship, but he kind of just wanted the piss off everybody so he's like they don't really make these kind of films in uh you know his country they don't they don't really make horror films and especially this style and he said so we decided to make one about a strangler that's the story i could come up with and he's like what can make him more angry is making two stranglers so that's exactly what he did and like there's all these ideas like even the idea of it opening up and saying that this is what causes a metropolis the way it ends the, who gets away with what and all this kind of stuff and he also mentions having the lead character the lead actor in this movie kind of having a Peter Lorre quality although he's twice the size of it and, and there's definitely that kind of weird kind of comedic quality and creepy quality about him and like I said I, I caught myself really enjoying this and, and like we get a look at kind of like the I guess you'd say punk rock scene and the country at the time. And um, like, there's just a lot of weirdness and absurdity, but also it feels like it is a horror film at the same time without ever just being completely all comedy. And I mean, it is a lot of comedy here, but uh, yeah, I mean, they, there is a thing here where they do mention Joe Bob Briggs covering it, which I didn't catch that at the time. And uh, yeah, it's just a bizarre film. Um, besides that, there's also a commentary. I really liked how the film looked. It was remastered well, but it's it's an oddity. And it, it's something that, like, if you were to ask me, I would have never, ever guessed this would have ever got a release, let alone a beautiful-looking Blu-ray. That's why Mondo is personally one of my favorite companies out there. I know people like a lot of the big labels, and I do, too. I love a lot of them, too. I love them. But, like, there's so many companies out there that just re-release stuff we've seen a thousand times. Now, sometimes we get upgrades on 4K, but a lot of times, you know... It's just new packaging and shit like that. And it's like, okay, now like getting something like this is just a little bit more refreshing to see like this looking great. And, and like I always say, like it feels like movies don't really exist to 90% of the population unless it's on Blu-ray or it's streaming. Like that's why you see a lot of like, you know, when something gets put on streaming services, there's a big talk about it because a lot of people are discovering it, which is cool, but it's also, it becomes strange and, and kind of sad because so many movies uh, disappear into obscurity and Strangler from Str or Strangler hopefully won't because of this nice release here by Mondo Macabro. Great stuff. 
Okay, this next one here is called Dead County, and this is from Darkside Releasing, and this is an independent zombie movie. And I know a lot of people are, are really sick of independent zombie movies. We've had so many zombie, zombie, zombies, and infected movies throughout the last few years, and hell, last 10 years. Um, Walking Dead, obviously, has uh, people kind of still interested in the zombie genre, and I feel like zombies will never die, right? So, um, Dead County, um, the thing is about independent zombie films... Um, they always have like a lot of ambition and stuff and it's just typically very hard to pull off because you need a lot of cast and crew and all that kind of stuff so when I, when I put in Dead County the first thing I noticed was they, they chose a great location I believe it's Pennsylvania areas there's a lot of trees and mountains stuff and all that kind of stuff um and it fits perfectly where they're shooting. And there's a lot of drone shots, overhead shots, all that kind of stuff, like establishing shots. And sometimes in recent years, that's become a, like a staple for low-budget films because it's something that can add a lot of production value to a movie that's low-budget, doing the drone shots. Um, and, and there's a, the first couple times I've always seen them in a movie, I was like, oh, wow, that's really impressive. And then I start to realize, oh, that's just a sign of low-budget, a new sign of low-budget movies. And this one I never felt like that because the way they use their drone shots, establishing shots, are in multiple different locations. Locations, and they always choose some of the nicest locations you can find. They have big, uh, you know, very like I miss. Mean, it's like these shots of the characters walking, and they're su they're like super far up, and and they just do really well with that. Like I said, um, that actually added uh, another layer to it. So essentially, what we do is follow a character. I can't remember his name. We follow basically this character as he kind of survives through the you know the zombie apocalypse. Occasionally, he'll run into zombies, but uh, the story's broken up kind of in like a different structural. Where where it opens up with him kind of uh, going on top of an RV and uh, having all these zombies come after him. So we set this kind of thing right off the bat that he seems to be giving up, and we kind of rewind and see his story. Um, and it, like I said, it's broken up in a structurally interesting way that adds a little bit more than some of the other zombie films that you could have. Um, but as far as plot and stuff like that, it has all the kind of typical things, you know, bad, uh, coming across, uh, stumbling across some people and then being awful, having friends and trying to survive and these moments of uh, human decency among a couple people. Um, but yeah, it, it's solid for a, a low-budget, no-budget zombie movie. Um, some of the acting ranges, of course, and that goes without saying. Um, the special effects are pretty good. Like, the gore and stuff for a low-budget movie, I think it's solid. Um, I, I don't remember, like, a lot of times you'll recall, like, bad CGI here and there, and I can't recall any off the top of my head. Doesn't mean it's not there, but hey, it's been a long week, right? Um, but I would say that, like, some of the practical effects, like the zombies, they actually look pretty good. There's one that has a amputee that's missing an arm, um, which I thought was, uh, amputee, does that mean all four? Um, I know quadriplegic means broken, uh, all broken limbs, whatever, I don't know, but amputee of an arm, and that, that looked really good. I believe they're amputee, either or, but if, they, if they're not, they did even better with special effects, so, um, and the soundtrack is interesting, it kind of has like a folky thing to it, and I think that adds a little bit more to it. Anyways, um, I, I was happy with the movie, like, I, and I, I'm a big zombie fan, I know not everyone loves zombies like I do, but I've seen a lot of independent zombie movies, and I haven't given that many a chance lately, and I thought that there were some pretty good, innovative shots for a low-budget movie that didn't make it feel like every other low-budget movie, because it wasn't shot just in a warehouse or one location. They they opened this thing up, and they decided to make it kind of a, a sprawling epic instead of the, con, like, you know, 
the Night of Living Dead style being, you know, it confined in a, in a farmhouse and everything. And you still manage to feel that kind of isolation and, uh, you know, claustrophobia in here. As far as special features are concerned, we have an audio commentary by the filmmakers, a behind the scenes, and a gag reel. And then we have some dark side releasing 2001 Halloween trailers, all that kind of stuff here. So it's about 89 minutes. So it doesn't really wear out its welcome. Um, like, I'm right down the middle on it. Like, I, I, pr- I really appreciate the ambition. And I've seen much, much worse zombie kind of low budget films. So, um, and I bet if it, this was like filmed locally, it would be really cool to see locations used because they use them really well. And it's, it's a beautiful place to film uh, for sure. That's Dead County. Okay, we have another one from Dark Side uh, Releasing, and this is Girl with a Straight Razor by Chris Alexander. He did, like, Queen for Erna, and what else? Blood for Erna. He did um, Necropolis, the sequel, and he's just, uh, he's actually pretty prolific. He's a Canadian director, um, makes low-budget movies, and in the style of, you know, uh, Euro-inspired stuff, and, and this one has some Cronenberg inspirations for sure, but I feel like he's kind of born in the wrong decade for sure like he, he definitely like when I watch his movies they feel like latter day Jess Franco or John Roland movies um, that kind of deal he's definitely inspired by that like beautiful uh, mysterious woman killing people and not overly graphic ways a lot of times you know a lot of sexual stuff a lot of like um, hypnotic shots of you know people staring in mirrors and, and being very trippy and the music comes in like right when this movie started the music kicked in and I said hell that's uh, David Cronenberg's rabbit I knew it was public domain kind of music or library music and it was rabid and i think that you know cronenberg and romero personally always did the best use of library tracks and and i love the soundtrack to rabid so it it worked for me in here so essentially we do is follow around this girl who kind of stalks the the streets at night and and kills people with a straight razor um there's a lot of nudity here and there of the of the girl and like i said hypnotic things so like visually it actually looks really nice um walking down these dark alleys and they seem to go on for too long but it creates a hypnotic kind of uh, kind of view to it where i actually was kind of sucked into the trance and like i said like before about his movies like really like it would benefit so much if he had more money like or or just could film on film the movies would be so much better for him like and i'm not trying to like badmouth it you know what i mean because he's what he's doing is is like a lot of ambition and stuff it's just like it's a filmmaker's born in the wrong decade right like i feel like the movies that he is definitely inspired by uh, he could have been making back then and just if he had a little bit more you know budget and and stuff like that but as far as the movie's concerned there's two cuts of it on here the dark side releasing which is an hour and i think five minutes and then like his director's cut which he cut down even more and there's a commentary of that on there so it's a relatively short movie um and again it comes to that point where i think in the last film i watched by him that there is some sort of maybe mental kind of craziness about it where there's like a reveal and without spoiling too much that not as all as it seems and it's like just kind of a head head kind of screw kind of movie too but um this one i I enjoyed like kind of right down the middle as well like again two ambitious low budget movies that try to do something different within well dead county is doing something we've seen before but on a level uh being a low budget movie actually doing a good job with it if that makes any sense well girl with a straight razor is doing something of an old job like kind of subgenre within the euro horror that's kind of dead and like it's jello but it's more like that style of the john roland stuff or or the jess franco certain kind of jess franco stuff that's kind of been dead for a very long time and kind of doing his own thing with it on a budget and i can appreciate that 
I mean, I think it's pretty cool. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of nudity and, and, and like kind of sexual stuff in here. Well, the murders aren't overly graphic. I mean, they are. They're not like uh, special effects extravaganzas. There's some like throat, uh, slow, throat slits and stuff like that. Then blood pours out and looks pretty good. But you're not going to see like Fulci-esque or Dario Argento-esque gore. You know, you'll see some like severed throats and blood spewing. And, and you'll see like him mess with like the uh, filter. I don't even want to say filters possibly because the lighting and stuff. And it gets really kind of strange and, and visuals and stuff. And I think it's, it's worth checking out if you're into this kind of stuff. Check out the trailer. You might be interested. Other people will just be completely bored and hate it and just want to turn it off or anything like that but i mean a lot of people do enjoy like these kind of neo gialli and stuff like that so if you're into that kind of stuff then i think you will dig it um as far as the special features are concerned we both have two cuts of the film and then we have an audio commentary and then we have three short videos by co-star thea monster and then again we have just trailers and everything like that so the one version um the expanded cut is an hour and seven director's cut is 57 minutes so anyways if it sounds like it's something up your alley check it out that is girl with a straight razor great title i love the title it definitely sounds like an old school film for sure okay the next one is the last in the twisting the knife four films by claude chabrol and chabrol and this is the flower of evil and this is again a crazy kind of deceitful family drama with some twists and turns where like right away you know kind of like exactly what's going on you know uh like murder and skeleton like dark family secrets incestuous stuff and like rich people that are hiding this and and like and like facades on people where they seem to really like each other but then like as it goes on you can tell and more reveals and everything so essentially what we have here is we have um um a son coming back from America to France to, you know, spend time with his father and his, his wife that he remarried. And like when these two families came together, it became kind of almost like, I don't want to say a scandal, but they were from two kind of prominent families and now they have a lot of money. And I think they actually share like an aunt. So it's, it's somewhat weird in that kind of way that they all are kind of related to this aunt in a different way. Um, well, so it seems she's kind of like, uh, like this older woman that has a lot of the money and everyone loves her. And, but she has like, obviously a deep, dark dark secret as well and she's a little haunted although she is just probably the most pleasant character in the film so um what happens is that he has kind of like a stepsister through marriage and their or cousin or something like along those lines and uh they had obviously had some sort of relationship and that seems to be part of the reason why he went to america and as the, as the movie goes on like the 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 stepmom or mother of the one girl is uh, running for public office and you know it, it complicates things so we kind of get a look into the politics and how she sees other people and stuff like that well this whole kind of storyline's breaking down and you get like it's almost like you know exact not exactly but you have these hints at what happened and as it goes on in the very beginning of the movie we open up with a murder and then like it's definitely kind of kind of come full circle in this way that history will repeat itself that all these kind of things are happening um but yeah it, it's just again it has that kind of flair that uh claude charbrol has where it's psychological and um although it looks really fancy and beautiful on the outside deep down on the inside of these high class families there's these dark secrets and this incestuous stuff and and just really kind of disturbing stuff and, and they bring up points uh later that i don't want to spoil that you know some people may be closer related than they thought and uh, just lots of twisted stuff in in the film and 
again, it's very well done. Less comedic than some of his other work. Um, and uh, like I said, like they're always shot really well. They all have like the same look and quality to them, no matter where they take place. Um, and they always involve, they always center around rich people. Um, besides the butcher, that one has, you know, kind of more working class people. But there is some rich people in that film as well. But they all center kind of around like rich uh, people that, you know, are, are well respected in the community. But yet they have deep, dark secrets and, you know, reveals and all this kind of stuff that comes to fruition in the film. Um, yeah, like uh, no matter what place they what time they take place in, none of the movies seem dated. They never kind of age, um, like in, in a poor way. Like I said, I feel like I repeat myself so much with his movies, but his movies literally share all the same kind of themes and everything, and, and that that makes them to stand out alone at times. They do, but for the most part, they they all go together so well too. You know what I mean? Like, and they're always good. So as far as the special features are, are this is it's his fiftieth feature film. This guy's super prolific. Can you imagine making a movie this good at your fiftieth film when you're you're older? I just not many directors can do that. So as far as the special features are concerned, you have a brand new audio commentary by film critic Farron Smith Anime. Behind the Mask, Remembering Claude Chabra, brand new appreciation by Angus C. Portier. Author of Left uh, Bank, Arts, Passion, and the Rebirth of Paris, 1940 to 1950, in which she shares her personal reminiscence of Claude and considers his unique position in French cinema and uh, culture and cinema. Behind the scenes featurette, archival interview with co-writer Catherine uh, Ilichef, archive introduction by film scholar Joel Magny, special scene commentaries by director, of course. So, anyways, again, another great set. Um, I would like to see an older set, some of his older films. Again, like I'll bring up The Butcher because it's the one I'm familiar with. But the guy's done so many movies over so long, it, it would be really kind of cool to see, you know, kind of a look at some of his older films. Uh, and these ones are more towards, towards like the late 80s up to like 2000. So, like, uh, that, that's a really kind of very prolific and well done kind of run of movies to be honest so anyways check out the twisting the knife the uh four films by claude Schalbrell. recommended for sure okay next up is the patreon pick and this is a Derek b patreon pick and this is where which i've heard a little bit about this is a universal dvd i actually rented it on amazon prime so i could watch it in hd that's right i'm like that uh, a lot of times if i can watch it in hd i won't even bother with my dvds so anyways where and i had heard a lot about this kind of being in a way a found footage movie filmed in that kind of way necessarily i'll say that it's not like they found footage like cannibal holocaust or blair witch it's a little different than that obviously but it's it's done in that kind of style so um uh, essentially what we have here is uh, American living in France. Uh, I mean, like a couple French movies here. And uh, she basically decides to... We see like kind of a crazy graphic kind of attack. Um, and it seems like an animal attack at first, but you're not 100% sure. And so they arrest uh, this large man who's kind of like on the outskirts of town and just an outcast, kind of a weird person. Doesn't seem to be all there. They arrest this guy for the murders. Um... Uh, and they say that bodies were partially eaten, all this kind of stuff took place on a full moon. You guys know the title where, and, uh, the, um, defense attorney believes it's, uh, that this person is innocent. So they decide to, they want them to get a fair trial. They start to represent them. She calls, she has a team, obviously another guy who looks into like people's history and backgrounds and stuff like that. And she calls in an animal expert that she knew from her past that can help her with this. So like, that's kind of the team to figure this out. And as they dig deeper, they start to realize that they believe this guy suffers from a rare, uh, you know, 
disorder where it would leave it impossible for him to actually commit these attacks because he's so decrepit at certain times. Um, and like also there's a police officer that's heavily involved with the case and he starts to seem very shady as they dig deeper and deeper into this. And, uh, and you kind of see like a lot of political bullshit behind here, land disputes, all that kind of stuff going on. So they're pointing you in one direction, but you're watching a movie called where, and you do know there was a vicious attack. So they give you a lot of like curveballs and everything like that. And if, if I get into any more, it'll kind of maybe spoil the fun for you. But even though you'll see pictures and images from this movie that will already spoil it. So, uh, before I spoil this movie, I thought it was pretty, pretty well done. Now there is some computer generated effects that they just, they seem very dated now. And this is an older film and not older, older, but you know, probably 10 years old and the computer effects, they look dated, especially in HD where every they when they use the CGI and kind of like gore and stuff, it just looks very bright. doesn't really match anything else in the movie. That's kind of expected at certain times when CGI was used. It does not ruin the movie. It will not like completely bring the movie down to a zero or anything like that. But as far as the, the, the movie as a whole, I liked it. I think it's a pretty good film. I think it's an interesting take on this kind of subgenre of movies for sure. And I would consider it in that subgenre. So I'll leave it at that. Now kind of spoilers here. At a certain point in the movie, you kind of realize that this character is suffering from this disease, but it's the basically the most realistic portrayal of lycanthropy that could be. You know, so uh, this essentially they decide to perform this test on him, and it puts him into this werewolf kind of rage, and he's not necessarily. A, a monster, a werewolf, but he's just like he's very hairy already. He becomes super vicious, and his strength seems to have no bounds. He, he can, he's super agile. All the stuff a werewolf would be, right? Um, so he basically runs amok a couple times in here, uh, creating some really kind of gory, awesome moments. And the hospital when he escapes is really, really cool. And then he takes on a bunch of cops, and it becomes almost like an action movie for the last part. Uh, and you know, it has a, some thirty days a night action where somebody else has you know. A, a taste into this but no there's a lot of cool things and they leave you guessing and i think honestly like the mystery parts of it are, are just as interesting if not more than the action stuff so um the only thing i did say it doesn't ruin the movie no the bad cgi but it does you know kind of be like oh that looks like shit and it does take you out for a split second here and there just because it's so different in, in color and everything like that but where I, I was happy with it i liked it it was an interesting take on the werewolf genre and uh like being kind of almost like uh in the found footage kind of style way too they can kind of do some things you couldn't do like kind of like a documentary style so where i enjoyed it i think it's pretty cool is it my top 10 werewolf films i don't think so i really don't i mean there's not that many great werewolf movies and it would be a hard it, it might I, I it's a recommend for sure in the werewolf subgenre but i feel like there's probably like 10 ones that are just staples that will always be in my top 10 it's gonna be hard to kind of push one out but uh anyways that is where check it out and this director what else did he go on to do i know um directed by William Brent Bell. I feel bad because I know he did one other movie that kind of um, has some name recognition. But uh, yeah, anyways, I, I would check this one out. Uh, pretty good stuff. Okay, guys, we're going to dive into those 1980 movies. They did this to you! They're trying to turn us against each other! Just look at them. What do they know about friendship anyway? I'll get them. Watch. I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good lord. It's. 
It's unbelievable. It's it's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect. Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Could he care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. Down my leg. Down my leg. I'm here. You're here. There's a bug bank out there. Messenger of God. Here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. My son was a son of a bitch, and he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, Cindy. Oh, Cindy. You're gonna die. Mater Lacrimarum. Ma'am. Mater Tenebrum. He didn't find any boy. Mater Suspiriorum. You know as well as I do. Takes all kinds of critters to make farmer Vincent fritters. <laughs> I wonder who the real cannibals are. And the first up, of course, is the legendary Friday the 13th from 1980. Yeah, it was uh, Friday the 13th with a full moon. And I was like, I'm doing 1980 movies. How could I not watch the first Friday the 13th? I mean, it's a classic. Um... And as a kid, I mean, I always liked these movies when I saw them, of course. Um, as a kid, um, Friday the 13th wasn't my favorite franchise of the big the big ones, you know, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. I was a Freddy guy growing up, all right? I loved Freddy. I thought it was really cool. And I still love Freddy Krueger. But as I got older, I started to realize that a lot of the Friday the 13th movies were so easy to watch. They were just very kind of, I don't want to say, they just had like a comfort food about them. You knew what you were getting. They were fast paced. They were in the woods. And I just had like the first five or six, I always kind of enjoyed watching. And as I got older, I, I could put them on anytime. They're not all time favorites to me. I don't have the closeness, I, I think, that a lot of people do. 
but I most certainly do really enjoy the Friday the 13th movies. And um, so part one, directed by Sean Cunningham, it's kind of weird just talking about one of the most popular movies, one of the most reviewed movies of all time, but it's 1980, and I definitely got to talk about it, and I'm not upset I have to talk about it. So it's directed by Sean Cunningham, which is funny because uh, he would later, you know, he helped Wes Craven, you know, produce Last House on the Left, and then Wes Craven would direct Nightmare on Elm Street. So he basically created his own competition, yada, yada, yada. So, um, yeah, this uh, has special effects by Tom Savini, um, one of his most infamous kind of, you know, projects he worked on. Adrian King is in here, Kevin Bacon. Um, who else pops up in the movie? Betsy Palmer, of course. So those are kind of the bigger names I guess people would recognize. Um, of course, uh, Artie Lehman, right? So uh, essentially this um, was made as a ripoff of Halloween. Uh, the screenwriter confirmed that. Uh, Sean Cunningham confirmed that Halloween was doing really well. So they were like, boom, let's make our own. They put it in summer camp. It's a lot like Bay of Blood by Mario Bava which came out in 71, I believe. So it has those kind of similarities, uh, of course. And uh, basically what they did was they set up this slasher at, uh, you know, a campground. These counselors are getting it ready for the kids to show up. This place has a really nasty history. Um, and it seems like the townsfolk all know it. Um, not all the counselors do. And uh, over time, they start to get picked off in gory details until there's a final uh, girl facing off against an iconic killer. Not Jason Voorhees, of course. So, all right. Um, man, what do, you, what do you say about uh, Friday the 13th? So, um, basically, everybody's probably talked about this. <laughs> I know. Like, I've heard so many people talk about it. I, I am a fan. Like I said, um, the music, classic, of course. Um, very memorable. Uh, I guess I'll get into some of the things that I guess people probably don't touch upon. Um, to be honest, the way this movie is set up in the very beginning, how we have the Anne showing up to kind of find the the, the place where she's going, Camp Crystal Lake and all that kind of stuff, and she has a run-in with the townsfolk. I think that is probably my favorite scene in the movie. I know it's like, what a weird favorite scene, right? But I think it's so well done, and it has a feeling of the carryover of the 70s, the kind of small-town feel, and... Um, like, she meets Crazy Ralph, and Crazy Ralph is one of the best red herring characters of all time, the the Harbinger of Doom. He's got to be the best one of that to me. Um, because the way, it, it, back in, like, the 70s, 80s, like early 80s, it's just like they, like feel like they just hire a weird local that possibly was a real drunk and he has like an authenticity about him and like his his everything he says is quotable he's weird he moves kind of strange like i don't know it's just everything about the guy is, is dead on and like so she has this interaction with crazy ralph who warns her not to go up there in this completely over the top way you know and this other has trucker that decides to give her a ride basically he's like shut up ralph and then so you think this guy's logical you you know all bullshit he sits in the truck with her and he says you know what you really shouldn't go out there either and he tries to warn her in a more sensible way and that's just like a double whammy there where you're like oh shit you know like you think that this guy's just a crazy person but now this person is sitting there being like you got you shouldn't go and like his acting seems very naturalistic to me and almost like legitimate like and that whole the whole opening of that feels very legitimate very very grounded i love the little look of the small town like, it feels so good. Like, if you ever, like, drove cross-country or stopped in a small town for a while, it just feels like it. And it's it has that authenticity and, and that look about it that I just love. I love. And watching stuff like this, um, like, it makes me want to camp. Like, I know it's like, oh, people are getting killed here, but it just makes me want to go out there because it feels legitimately kind of like how I was. So, like, it has a nice 
perfect look to it. And uh, so, like I said, the, the characters are fairly well established. None of them stand out that much. I mean, they all are memorable, but they're not like the most over-the-top memorable characters, if that makes any sense. I mean, you have, of course, like I said, Kevin Bacon and Ned, who's always doing practical jokes, and, and Steve with his fucking glasses and everything. Um, and the funny scene with him. What are you doing out here? Like, that's such a GLL thing to do there, too. Uh, anyways, uh, like I said, the kills aren't as graphic as a lot of people would remember. And, like, of course, we all have... I mean, like, as people would hype up to be, right? The, the effects are really good, though, especially for 1980. But the thing about the Friday 13th kills... I watched the uncut version, of course. There is one that's even shorter. But, like, in all of them, even even if they were uncut, as you can see in, in Friday 13th, they always hit the... They always cut away really quick. And, and it has, like, a good quality about it because the music kicks in and it just kind of goes to the thing. You know, it, like, fades away to the next scene or whatever it does. So, anyways, like, I don't have all that much to say that you guys haven't heard. But well, I will, what I will say is I thought that the new Screen Factory Blu-ray looked really good. Um, I've never seen it look this good. It's from a 4K master. Just got announced in 4K. It's coming out September 13th. I pre-ordered it to watch in 4K. Um, yeah, like, and, and uh, Betsy Palmer showing up. She's she's tremendous in this movie. And I found it really funny listening to the commentary how, how times have changed because she's talking and she brings up the shining and direction that Sean Cunningham is giving her, talking about how over-the-top Jack Nicholson was in that movie and how it didn't really work. He said, like, remember how bad that was, how bad that was? And it's so funny that the director of Friday the 13th, Sean Cunningham, is telling Betsy Palmer not to act like Jack Nicholson from The Shining because the performance was bad. The most well-respected and beloved horror movie from 1980, the performance was bad. That's how times have changed, right? That's how the, the outlook on things can change completely. Um, also, I don't know if I ever knew this, but they tell the story about um, Siskel writing, telling people to write to Betsy Palmer and giving her address out on on television. Like, go fuck yourself, dude. I know people are always like, Siskel and Ebert, yeah, two thumbs up. It's like, one fucking fist to your face, dude. If you ever wrote my mom to fucking... I can't believe that. That would be so illegal now. Fucking immediately, Siskel would be done if he gave out somebody's address. I remember I know some of the people think they give out other people's address they don't like, but and like villains and, and congressmen's phone numbers and shit that are pieces of shit or call this. But that's a little different, I know. But you were in a bad movie, so we're sending out you. Come on, get out of here. And, and like on top of that, you know, Adrian King had the stalker and stuff. Just imagine people giving out Betty Palmer's address and like just basically giving stalkers or weirdos a chance to attack someone. It's, times have changed, obviously. You see the what they thought of The Shining back then, and now uh, that kind of whole thing. But anyways, like I said, I, I enjoy this one. I enjoy the music. I enjoy the effects. I enjoy the ending. Um, tons of quotes. As you could tell, I used a lot of the quotes from. from thirteenth in that opening um, and everything like that, um, and like all, all the all the actors and actresses in here are attractive and everything like that. They they put in the right amount of sex, and that's one thing you can always count on in the Friday Thirteenth movies is to incorporate some sex scenes and stuff like that and gore and and although we said Halloween was like the first big slasher, I mean people would argue proto slasher, Black Christmas and stuff like that, and you could see Black Christmas for sure being an inspiration for later day movies that are slashers, and Black Christmas could possibly be a slasher too. I don't want to go down that or whatever it's just it is what it is but uh, friday 13th really 
was the one that kicked it in overdrive, right? Where everything was like the camp slasher. You wouldn't have the burning getting made and stuff like that, although it was around the same time. You know what I mean? You just wouldn't have this kind of stuff. Madman. Um, and Friday the 13th is just as influential as Halloween, I think. Maybe not as well-respected. Most definitely not as well-respected, but hey, it's as influential. So as far as the special features are concerned, they did do some new ones, some interviews and all that kind of stuff and panels that I enjoyed hearing. And it's nice to see Betsy Palmer on there. I really like that. And uh, yeah, Harry Manfredini. Um, I always mix up Harry Man. Yeah, it's Harry Manfredini. You don't want to mix it up with Harry Mancini, another kind of composer right there. Mix them up. But uh, yeah, you know, Sean Cunningham and all that kind of stuff. And I liked hearing the commentary. It's kind of a mix up, you know, where they'll have like kind of a moderator on there. Um, and, and like it's funny because um, you have the writer um, talking on there and he's basically like, yeah, we did that. The more sex you had, the more you got killed on screen. But then like Sean Cunningham's like, I don't, I, you know, so it's like the writer putting that forth in there and then like Sean Cunningham like just ignoring that context all in general so it's just very funny like how it turned out because like he said the writer saying that whatever anyways uh it's a classic it's one of the most iconic slasher films and not than the top slasher films ever made spawned so many sequels some would argue better sequels I, I don't know i like like i said i like the first five almost equally not exactly equally i know that like some are better than others right like objectively i'm looking at it, i'm like yeah that's a better movie but you know i've always had a soft spot for part five not always i don't i don't know i've never disliked part five but as i got older i just enjoyed it more and more just because it's so ridiculous so anyways uh friday the 13th part one uh it looks great on uh 4k and the sound the surround sound was really good i put it in the 5.1 to listen like big storms and it was actually i think storming outside at the time just i don't i don't remember but it felt like it was storming outside because the surround sound good lightning and stuff anyways uh yeah just a super memorable movie and hell great stuff uh friday the 13th what, what more do you want to follow up friday the 13th I, I gotta talk about a classic here um they thought they were just killing some weeds toxic fucking zombies made the video nasties list this is one this is a rewatch not watch toxic zombies aka blood eaters um geez since when did I watch this on VHS? I feel like I rented this as a kid because I love zombie movies, obsessed with them. It had uh, John Applis from, you know, the Romero movies from Martin and stuff. So I was like, oh man, this feels kind of like a slice of that kind of zombie Pittsburgh thing. I got to see Toxic Zombies. So I popped this in and it had been a long time. Uh, it's a massacre video, of course. Um, yeah, so... Um, how do I feel about Toxic Zombies? I, I enjoy it. It's gory. It's goofy. It's cheesy. It's a low-budget zombie movie. You know, very regional. So what we have here is uh, basically... Um there's some weed growers, yeah, weed growers, and they, they like the government officials treat them like they're absolutely the the worst human beings on earth. And it's just funny how how times change since 1980, right? So essentially, what we have here is some weed growers, about like I don't know, six or seven of them out in the kind of uh, isolated, you know, area growing marijuana. And some federal agents kind of come across them. And right off the bat, like, you, the federal agents are assholes. They shoot first when somebody's, like, a woman's running away. She's unarmed. They just kill her. And then a, and they're like, oh, she's the woman, yada, yada, yada. Then they get murdered. They disappear. So some federal agents are a little worried about that. The, the bigwigs, including John Applis, who's kind of a lesser bigwig. And they decide to kind of, well, we got to stop this marijuana. We have this experimental drug. We don't know what... We know it's no good for humans, but there's not going to be any humans out there. And who gives a shit if we get the weed growers? So they basically hire this drunk to spray this weird powdery shit all over the, the weeds and all that kind of stuff. And it turns these uh, weed growers into 
crazy zombies. They're not really zombies because they're still alive, but they do drink blood. They're called the blood eaters. So we get in that argument again. It's like, well, they're not dead, so they're not technically zombies. They don't eat flesh. Whatever, okay? Blanket statement, infected, zombies, whatever you want to call it. Mindless rage and creatures that drink blood. Okay, so essentially uh, what we have here is also kind of a park ranger, whatever his job is. He goes out there when he's not supposed to, takes his brother, his girl, his wife, and uh, yeah, there's also other people camping in the woods who are going to run into these toxic zombies. Um, yeah, that's kind of the plot of the movie. Uh, occasionally a uh, toxic zombie will attack somebody, it will rip them apart. Um, they definitely changed the name to Toxic Zombies from Blood Eaters because when it got released on VHS, you know, Toxic Avenger had come out, zombies were big, so they're like 80, 85 or something, 84. They're like, when it got put back on VHS, an alternative name, they kind of like preying on that. That's an amazing VHS cover. I always remember that VHS cover of Toxic Zombies. But uh, yeah, it, it's low budget. Some of the acting is pretty bad. Like, a lot of people are pretty rough. There's a lot of wandering around the woods. There's a lot of like kind of dumb shit where it's like guy driving around there his car breaks down we watched that for way too long that kind of shit but uh the zombies are fairly memorable and there's a lot of like low budget gore that i enjoyed uh like just like kind of like people like getting their hand hacked off and and stuff like that and like there is a really good scene where the park ranger comes across this kind of shack and there's this guy that's like get the hell out of here yada yada gives him the spiel I don't trust the government and all that kind of stuff and this movie is very anti-trusting like government officials and all that kind of shit um, so it comes from that like Romero the crazies nightly dead kind of world I feel feel kind of fits into that um, kind of distrust of like government officials when it comes to these kind of situations so like this guy goes on this spiel about I ain't got nothing against those weed growers and and you guys sprayed the wrong and his i think his performance is probably the strongest in the movie john Apples is fine as well but i think his performance and his moments are probably the guess, the most poignant if you could say that for this kind of deal um anyways uh it's a gory fun cheap movie it's not perfect um maybe get some unintentional laughter from it from here and there but uh as far as the special features are concerned we have a brand new master created from 4k scans of multiple rare 35 theatrical prints i mean it's it looks kind of rough but it looks pretty good for this kind of movie i've never seen it look better uh blood shooters interview with cinematographer david sperling um framing the forest I, i'm the Sperling's been working a long time after this, and uh, I, I don't remember it too much on his interview. Fra Fra Farming the Forest included an uh, interview with actor Claude Scales. Alternative Toxic Zombies. This is the guy. He basically talks about, you know, um, coming from a different world, and, and he talks about, like, a friend of his who I believe was the producer. Was he the director on the movie? And he actually kind of had a really uh, tragic end, and that's a good story. Um, kind of long, and, and he goes into a little bit of the stuff and talks about Toxic Zombies and all that stuff alternative toxic zombies title card extensive image gallery and then we have you know hard of hearing they do have a longer version which you can watch and it's basically vhs inserts at the very end it's just kind of like like closure stuff you don't really need it so if that's going to bother you don't don't bother watching it but it also is pretty fucking downbeat um it's a downbeat movie um i don't know why this is on the video nasties list really i don't <laughs> probably because of the title let's be honest um yeah but that's toxic zombies from 1980 um fun revisiting glad i finally did rewatch toxic zombies and uh good double feature with something maybe a b movie night or something like that you could do a lot worse than toxic zombies so we just covered toxic zombies super cheesy low budget zombie movie from 1980 we're gonna follow it up with an even cheaper cheesy low budget zombie movie from 1980 directed by fred olin ray yeah that's right this is the alien dead 
This is the first time watch for me. I've had Alien Dead on my shelf for a very long time. This is the DVD, unfortunately. Blu-ray is out of print. Very expensive. Should have bought it. But hey, so <laughs> Alien Dead. Um, yeah, I actually like some Fred Olin Ray movies. I think that, you know, a lot of his earlier stuff and when he had money, like Deep Space, came out pretty fucking good, right? So Alien Dead is super no-budget stuff here. It's filmed in Florida. Um, very Florida-like horror movie. Very, very Florida, right? So, essentially what we have here is we kind of figure out, I believe, what it was was some sort of spaceship. I can't fucking remember what's causing this. If I can't, I think I'm forgetting. But, essentially, years ago, they kind of break this down. But people start to disappear in the swamp and fairly quickly. Like, zombies come out. A reporter wants to be interested in it. He gets interested in it, of course, to try to figure it out. He starts to interview some of the locals, starts to kind of fall for this this young girl. And her and her father kind of breaks down the story about giant possums being in the area, and he kind of says that possibly maybe a UFO crashed in this swamp. Yada yada yada. Essentially, a lot of the movie is just these these swamp zombies going around and eating people in gory detail, kind of in like Herschel Gordon Lewis style gore, and you know people just not acting very convincingly. But hey, it, it's got a regional like I guess charm quality to it at the same time. A lot of people that probably aren't really actors. Now the sheriff is the worst sheriff in the history of sheriffs he is the laziest sheriff he lets this reporter do all his work he doesn't do fucking anything he just it's nonsense but uh you got to give this movie props for actually filming in the swamp being like a lot of people in the water jumping out of the water it's just not a, obviously a very easy thing to do but there is like solid gore like a lot more gore than one would expect in this kind of movie as far as like you, no budget but there actually is special effects and people getting eaten by zombies which is cool um like i said the acting isn't great um but i i I don't have that much to say about Alien Dead. Um, I enjoyed it. I did. Um, it's not great. It's cheap. Low budget. Um, ambitious for what it is, to be honest. Like I said, this movie probably uh, took a little longer than you would think. You know, being in a swamp and shit like that. I would not particularly want to shoot in the swamp. But I like the zombies coming out from the water and stuff like that. You know, think, of course, we had the zombie and zombie. But we also had shockwaves, which had Nazi zombies coming out of the water. Um, later, we'd have Land of the Dead. So I'm basically just bringing up zombies in water at this point. So it's probably time to end this one. Uh, but Alien Dead, uh, it's a long thing back on here. Yeah. So, basically, homegrown, no doubt. Like, I feel like early, um, Fred Olin Ray feels a little bit like Don Doler, I guess. Uh, just, this one feels a little bit more sleazier. And, uh, like I said, I think the acting in Doler's movies a little better, for the most part. Maybe a lot better. But, Alien Dead from 1980, finally glad I got to check it off the list. Um, and I like, I love my zombies, so, had to check this one out, so, yeah. You know, I should have mentioned Alien Dead. I believe Alien Dead is a video nasty, too. So I think that's two video nasties right there. So why not follow it up with another one by Ulay Lamel? This is Boogeyman. That's right. I had never seen The Boogeyman. And I know a lot of people do enjoy this one. A lot of people don't. Um, I know that there was a sequel made, which basically was The Return of the Boogeyman made the video nasties list. Had like half the footage from the first Boogeyman. I don't know why this is on the video nasties list. I really don't. My only guess is that there's self-inflicted pain and they, in UK at the time, they really didn't like that, I don't think. Kind of the idea of suicide, whatever, kind of bothered them. Oh boy, how do I go about this fucking whacked out of its mind plot? Oculus ripped this movie off, by the way. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I know I know what you're doing there, Mike Flanagan. I see it. I see it. Um, so, anyways, The Boogeyman. What a weird title for this movie. Like, obviously, it's fucking... Because Halloween... The Boogeyman, The Boogeyman... Fucking, this is not a Boogeyman movie. 
Sorry, it's really does not the boogeyman. There's not in a closet. I mean, I don't even know how to explain the boogeyman. Um, but like, I don't think when I watch this movie, I don't think the boogeyman. I feel like Hormir or something. Um, so so essentially, what happens? Is, <laughs> God, this plot is so nonsense. Um, a, a young girl and boy, brother and sister, witness kind of like their mother screwing around with this guy who's wearing like this stocking on his face. Um, and when the mother does this, we got like Christmas evil trauma here times 10. Um, when the mother has, you know, sex or has somebody over, ties up the boy, the young boy, cause he doesn't want him getting out or I don't know what. Anyways, it's clearly child abuse. And the daughter decides to let the boy out one day and, um, he decides to stab this guy, this, uh, this kind of weird guy who's having sex with the mother. There's a mirror present. So essentially what we kind of guess or what's happening is his soul kind of went in this mirror years down the line, the brother, um, um, he does no longer talk. He's a mute and the daughter, they're kind of messed up from the whole situation. I don't know who they're living with relatives or something like that, but essentially this mirror comes back into their life and like it, it breaks and like the mirror becomes evil. Evil. Anybody who's seeing the mirror, it can kind of like possess you and make you evil. It also can kind of like uh, control you with like telekinesis and shit like that. But it gets to the point of the most absolutely most ridiculous scene in the entire fucking movie is a little kid gets a piece of the glass on his boot. And I know I'm spoiling, but it is so fucking audacious that I was like, this isn't happening. This is not happening right now. This is this is actually happening. So essentially, the little kid gets this piece of glass on his boot. He goes out fishing, and he's sitting on this dock. And then the reflection of the sun, the sun hits the, the little piece of glass on his boot, and like it has like the light going all the way across the fucking lake to these the cuts to these teenagers for like. 15 minutes of these partying teenagers so they can they can add to the kill count. So now instead of like watching the major characters in the movie and like having this resolved or some character development or psychological stuff with them, we just are with these kids like so we can get these slasher kills for 15 fucking minutes. And like at one point the kids walk into this abandoned shack and you're like, oh, this is going to happen in here. And then they walk out. Like I don't know if this is some hanky panky in here basically squeeze that in there. So like and, and like they kill them in the most ridiculous ways in this movie a lot of the kills are so ridiculous that they're entertaining and fun like a whole entire family commits suicide you're just like oh shit that's kind of intense a younger kid's committing suicide that's why i got on the list i'm sure of it but like that whole scene when they did that glass reflecting off the shoe i was like we're not doing this are we doing that we're doing this and i i i admire it because of its ridiculousness but at the same time i'm just like i can't believe you did it um so, so it's it's nonsense the score's really cool like the score's very 1980 synthy good shit like it. And like I say, a bad movie on film is still much better than a bad movie on digital because it looks good at least. And I don't really consider this an absolute horrible movie. Like, it, I mean, I like how a lot of it looks. I like the, the sound and everything. Um, Ulay Lamel also did, I always bring it up, Tenderness of the Wolves, which is an outstanding movie. I can't believe the same director did all the movies after, you know, Tenderness of the Wolves. It's kind of mind-baffling, mind-boggling, to be honest. But uh, the the ending is uh, pretty crazy. We have kind of a pre-showdown with the mirror and shit. Um I should mention John Carradine's in this. Obviously shot his scenes in a day or two. He's a psych like a, a psychiatrist or something. He's like, maybe you should go see the mirror. And it's just like, he's good in it. He's okay. I mean, he's underutilized, but it's John Carradine. He doesn't really do a bad job. I mean, he's got an amazing voice, an amazing look. He's a horror icon. So, I mean, hey, it is what it is. It's John Carradine for a day. Why not? Um, yeah, it's the boogeyman. 
I thought this looked pretty good, though. Especially, I thought 88 Films cleaned it up really well, and I was impressed with the picture quality. Um, I don't know. It's up to you. I mean, I, I know a lot of people do like it. Um, it did make some of the top 10 lists that I'm going to talk about, because I asked everybody what their top 10 favorite 1980 horror films were, and it was on a couple lists, believe it or not. The Boogeyman fucking made a couple lists. So, yeah. Hey, check it out. Okay, the next one is The Sleep of Death. And I'm going to be really brief with this one. It's just a movie that it's not absolutely horrible or anything like that. It's just, again, a movie with a very good score. Um, I had to watch a VHS rip. It, it's not a particularly, like, super intriguing movie for me due to probably maybe the picture quality and everything like that. But essentially, the opening, it takes place, when is it, uh, this old guy, Lord or something, is about to be put to death. And they give him this this kind of drug that's supposed to knock him out and not kill him. Then we kind of cut forth, like, a put forth, like, a, a hundred years and, like, the uh, uh, Napoleon had just been stopped. He's imprisoned. And we have this British guy who wants to come to France afterwards. His father forbades it, wants him to marry somebody he doesn't. The father dies. He does what the fuck he wants. Him and, I believe, like, a family friend go with him. And he has this idea how he can, like, trick the gambling system to make a lot of fucking money. It's a very small piece of it. But on his way, he kind of, this, this countess kind of catches his attention. And this count, who's with this count... And he becomes infatuated with her. He kind of follows her around. And at the same time, some people are ending up murdered in very kind of vampiric ways. Um, and this is by the same person that wrote... Um same person that actually wrote Carmilla, which is a great story. It was made into Vampire Lovers. Here's a lot of similarities to that. And, like, I wonder if they lifted some of that, like, that, um, like, from, um, like, I, um, that kind of deal from the actual, you know, Carmilla as well. Because I feel like Vampire Lovers has some similarities with this, with the two characters kind of riding around and, like, the hearse and everything like that. But, a anyways, there's some weird kind of characters that he runs into, including, like, this ex-military guy who you think is very bad, but things are not necessarily as they seem and Patrick Magny who is excellent kind of character actor from stuff like A Clockwork Orange and Fulci's The Black Cat he's in here and he's gonna marry I can't do a, a Patrick Magny but he's got a very memorable voice but uh, for the most part I mean it, it's it's fairly well shot as far as I could tell because the quality's so poor has a nice soundtrack has nice good imagery gothic stuff and like I feel like this one a better release with some more context could be a decent movie but uh, as far as the way I saw it and you know it just it's a little kind of meddling and a little boring at the same time which is the dumbest thinking it's boring that's stupid but you know maybe if i read the story I, i'd have a little bit more appreciation for it i don't absolutely hate it i think it's maybe worth looking into if you're interested but i can't give it a wholehearted recommend so that is the sleep of death from 1980 not my favorite movie of the year um but some interesting stuff in there um like i feel like the movies that we watch for 1970 kind of handle this kind of atmosphere and this deal a little bit more like low keys or something like that is just a much better kind of deal at it that makes any sense and i think vampire lovers is also vastly superior to the sleep of death so yeah okay here's another first time watch for me and this is from cauldron films and this is beyond terror this is a spanish horror flick yeah this is kind of a little hidden gem here i was very excited to watch this one has a cat allinger commentary so that's always welcome um yeah and i like uh so basically the plot of this one it, it's uh follows these kind of like this group of criminals how many are there I think there's four in the in the very beginning. They're just ruthless criminals, and they end up kind of like trying to rob this diner. A bunch of people end up dead, murdered, killed, however you want to say it. Um, they kidnap this couple that uh, is a kind of kind of a strange couple, um, and they basically take them as hostages, and they start traveling across the road. They end up stopping at this old lady's house, and she has a young kid, and uh, they're, they're the the 
the villains in this movie are so ruthless. They end up burning the house down and killing the old woman, killing her dog, killing her your maybe grandson or whoever they are. And like as she's dying, she starts putting a curse on them. And it's just like, where's this coming from? It's very bizarre, very strange. And then kind of we get into this weird supernatural aspect where they're kind of cursed in this weird area. And like you notice that the two, the couple, they really didn't do anything to stop it. So like they also are very gray like characters, not the most likable characters. So the group end up stuck at this weird kind of like this kind of like a mausoleum I would say or like this crypt or this like kind of weird historical like kind of weird cemetery whatever the fuck it is but it's creepy and uh, they can't really get out their car has been stopped and there's a nice little touch here when, when they're driving like the radio just turns on this playing this like creepy chanting music and shit and it's just I never had that happen where they're like turn it off turn it off what is this why won't it turn off and I was like oh it's actually in the radio you think it's the radio or like the score at first and then you realize it's coming from the radio it's like that's a nice little touch but uh, what, what I liked about the movie was it was not really afraid to go some places that um it, it brings up kind of like incestuous stuff and and like the characters have these moments where they start talking about their past of uh, the villains and stuff and you're like this is like just a little darker and and grittier and just a little bit more kind of fucked up than you would actually expect them to get into um, Ken Ellinger brings up some points on the commentary. It's pretty funny. She's like, I like that the idea that like the witch woman here in 1980 is not portrayed as evil. Like she's a victim and her, her son and stuff. And like they're committing, like they're getting the revenge, like the supernatural aspects, but they're not like portrayed as villainous or anything like that. Um, and usually witches, you know, especially in Spain at the time, probably would be considered villainous or whatever. And like, I always feel like it's very strange. Like if you watch like non-sploitation movies from certain places, like they'll be like Catholicism is garbage. But then at the very end of the movie, the person and ends up being a demon anyways like even if you watch like the church they're like they you watch all these like supposedly innocent people be slaughtered you're like that's so fucked up that these knights and knights are killing all these people and then like they're like arms turned to demons like so they were demons or like alicarda where you're like man catholicism's fucked up and i believe alicarda's mexican not but so and, and like then they are like possessed by satan it's just always like that weird kind of touch on like that that stuff that i enjoy in <laughs> these euro horror films that so so anyways like yeah this one looks great too like it looks great and it does have a little bit of a slow start there's a lot of kind of meandering and arguing amongst the characters but once they start getting picked off there's these nice touches like this evil painting in the background of this like skeleton with these people and like the painting starts to change and I like those little touches like that and like I said I like the villains and um, they actually show Donk like I was like oh wow I did not expect to see that and the movie is sleazy there's like sex and there's some murders and stuff this is a good one and this is a really good one from 1980 that I don't think that I would have probably kind of like really been excited to watch unless Cauldron put it out like because now it has this nice blu-ray it looks fucking excellent before it was kind of like in the bootleg market I believe so like I never did get to see it anyways I loved how Beyond Terror looked I loved how it sounded and you know what this is the first I want to say hidden gem because have I watched a hidden gem yet? Well, I watched uh, Encounter of the Spooky Kind, but uh, but I believe that one's fairly well known. I guess Beyond Terror is fairly well known too. Those are both really uh, movies, first time watches that I was very happy with. They are definitely contenders to make like a top twenty five list for sure. Um, but anyways, Beyond Terror, great stuff. I really recommend checking this one out. Now it is part kind of like the criminal activity. Like if you've ever watched any like uh, Euro crime films where like half the movie is like you know, almost like just this crime element of like. Like kidnapping like hitchhike or something or even the next movie i'll talk about a little bit from 1980 but then it turns into like the supernatural aspect and like has uh the, the kills aren't overly graphic or anything like that but they are pretty in innovative and cool and you know I, I enjoyed them yeah so check it out for sure uh beyond terror
Okay, the next one is from Dark Force Entertainment. This is definitely more of an exploitation film than a horror film for sure. This is Terror Express, and I know it was probably made because of Night Train Murders, which, here's a secret. Night Train Murders is a movie I've seen half of it, and I never finished it years ago when I was young. I don't know why. I know it's like a huge blind spot for me. It's right up my alley. But this is Terror Express. This is directed by, um, who is it, Fernando Baldi, I believe you say his name. Uh, directed by Fernando Baldi. I know him from uh, Django, Prepare a Coffin, which is a spaghetti western. Pretty cool one. And um, The Blind Man. With Leonard Mann. It's Leonard Mann in that one. That's a really bizarre spaghetti western. Really cool, though, too. I enjoyed that one. I think... James Grimmer probably gave that as a as a, a pick a movie or something like that. So Terror Express. This one I saw on the list for 1980. I was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to watch this one. I kind of love these exploitation criminal movies. Like, you know, a lot of times you're like, this is going to be a, kind of a rape revenge deal. So I, I, I put it in. I had some a lot of familiar faces in here. Uh, what is it? Venetami, Venemil, whatever the fuck his name is from Cannibal Apocalypse and City of the Living Dead and the, the really good... Um, cheese uh spaghetti western where he plays the villain he's only in one spaghetti western he also pops up in final justice with uh joe don baker as the villain so he's just an actor i've always liked a character actor he pops up in here also has the lead from city of the living dead is in here not christopher george but the other guy he's in a couple fulci movies so there's like a lot of tons of familiar faces in here uh zora curvo curvona or whatever the fuck her name from cannibal ferox and and i believe was she is she in new york ripper she had a bunch of stuff so like I was like, oh, wow, this is so many familiar faces from Italian horror movies and all that kind of stuff. So essentially what we have here is these three kind of uh, derelicts, uh, basically degenerates, um, one, led by the guy from Mosquito the Rapist and a, some, uh, of course, Giallis. I believe he's in a couple of Argento Giallis. They basically take over this train and like it just this train cart and you're introduced to all the characters and like them taking over the train and bossing everyone around and like raping and pillaging everything it brings out the worst in these people but all this stuff is already there like one of the characters has this thing for his daughter which is absolutely repulsive and that whole scene how it plays out with the prostitute I know, a lot of crazy shit, right? It's just really crazy. Like, and there's these moments of nastiness that are just like, we'll, we'll, we'll all roll dice to see who takes this virgin. Like, and you're just like, fuck, man. It's a nasty movie with nasty people. And you, you go through the entire movie and you really want, like, you know, a last house on the left cathartic kind of thing. And uh, like, I can get behind a revenge movie that doesn't give you that catharsis because it shows you that revenge can be just as, as empty as how you feel after. And there's nothing left afterwards. Yeah. I can get behind that. Like the revenant. You're like, yeah, man, that's really deep. It's really crazy. But this movie is not doing that. It's not like this deep kind of like thing where you're like, Oh, why is it all bad? It doesn't really kind of play out like that. So like you build up, you hate these three kind of assholes more than anything. You want them to get the revenge. You want them to get their comeuppance. And the, the comeuppance is really lackluster. It's just not there. It's just not, you know, it doesn't pack the punch um, that you really want to see. I mean, you, they're on a train. I love train horror, train thrillers, that kind of stuff. You, so many good train movies. You really want to see these guys get messed up because they deserve it. And especially in terms of this movie, but this movie spends a lot more time on like the rapey stuff and the sexual stuff. There is some consensual sex and it spends a lot of time on sexy time. A lot of, you know, a lot more oral kind of pleasure in here than you would expect. Um, so, so it spends its time on that, which no real complaints, you know, I mean, with uh, like consensual sex and stuff, a lot of the rapey stuff will bother people and stuff. There's some dirty shit in here. 
Um, but yeah, I think the bad guys do their job. I mean, you absolutely hate them. Um, and a lot of the other actors I like too. And like I said, it's actually, you know, some of the other stuff is even more bothersome in their character traits that don't involve these people. Some of these people are just as bad as the people that are committing these acts too. Now it does have some of the stuff like the incident. Um, if everybody's seen that one with, um, Tony Busma, who the, and, uh, Martin Sheen, where they like take over that train cart and they just torture all the people on there. And like, you have like these other people, like, out like they have like some negatives about them at the same time but this one uh the people are even worse they're euro sleaze so yeah anyways it's a decent uh i guess the exploitation movie from 1980 didn't knock my socks off it's got a good memorable cast and the special features include um a, um what is it a trails from the rails featurettes by freak rama featuring interviews with the cast mayor azura carvona and carlo di mijo and screenwriter george eastman yeah which is awesome because i believe george eastman who wrote part of this movie would go on or maybe it was before he was in Django Prepare a Coffin directed by the same director so that's nice anyways Terror Express 1980 up to you uh, I give it a slight recommend Okay, the next one is Trauma. I believe you'd pronounce this from 1980. It's T-H-R-A-U-M-A. I don't know if the spelling is weird or anything like that. It's, but anyways, Italian spelling, not 100% sure. This is an Italian horror film. And it's kind of like a giallo, more like a slasher, relatively short. In the very beginning of this movie, we have like these two young people, one with a bad eye, and uh, essentially like kind of one bullying the other one. Then we fast forward to modern day. We have a, a group of rich people getting together at this place for a party. And then we, of course, have this kind of one-eyed guy going around killing people. Right away, you know the twist, what's going to happen. It's kind of right off the bat. Um, the the cast that gets together, the most memorable character to me is the heavyset guy from Strip Nude for Your Killer who has sex with a blow-up doll. He's in this. He's actually the best part of the movie, to be honest. So the first kill in this movie is really dark and really nasty, and it just like feels like really kind of like nihilistic and i was like oh maybe we're in for some kind of special special kind of dark little short slasher movie from italy i i kind of impressed so far and then after that like it just completely loses me so like the characters act moronic which i can forgive but the killer starts picking everybody off and the kills are the worst kills i've seen in anything like this i mean we have somebody having a heart attack we have off-screen strangulations like just poor 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 kills they didn't do any kills and i know that doesn't make a movie but i mean the location's cool but it's not like super well i mean it's it's fine. It's shot fine. The location's good, but it doesn't really have anything that stands out to make it anything special. So you really would be like, well, pile on the sleaze. And the first kill, you're like, oh, it's there. It's dark and weird and it's in the woods. It's creepy. But then after that, they completely ditch all the kills and all special effects until the very end. There's one nice kind of eye stab. But it's just like, what? Why? Like, why is there no special effects in here? Why is it so short? I feel like this movie's incomplete. At the very end, there is no ending. The movie just stops. Like, it's like, yeah, we didn't film the ending. We're going to do it. It's just like, fuck off, man. Like, fuck off. Like, this isn't, this movie's not complete. Like, I don't feel like this is a completed movie. I feel like they ran out of money. It's not the worst movie ever. It's like a two out of five. But, like, as far as what they seem to have, it should have been a lot better. Because, like, usually, like, like, like something like Alien Dead, which cost $10. It is it's a more complete, better film than this movie. It has no right to be. Like, honestly, like, it was a way bigger underdog to be made than trauma. Well, I guess I don't know what happened. Like, I'm just saying, you see, like, the people, you can see, like, the, the film quality and stuff and, like, the, the filming techniques. You're like, well, this should be much better. I don't know why it's not. I don't know the history of the movie. Maybe something 
happened on the set. Maybe they ran out of money. Maybe somebody fucking died. I don't know. Anyways, trauma was a major disappointment and it just didn't really work for me, unfortunately, especially when you look at the other comparisons to 1980 and the kind of stuff that was being made in Italy. And you're just like, well, what went wrong with this one? Who knows? Okay. The next one from 1980 is a classic. It's uh zombie Holocaust. I almost said zombie bloodbath, but it's not zombie bloodbath, but it's Dr. Butcher MD aka zombie holocaust from 1980 pretty much the only cannibal movie from italy without animal cruelty so you can feel guilt-free about that um this is a classic i always enjoyed this movie it's two disc in here a barf bag uh yeah so the story with uh, uh basically um the name dr butcher md was the american retitle it had uh scenes cut out but none of the gore cut out but yeah a, or I think it was released in 82 or so, but uh, Zombie Holocaust was released in 1980. And I think the director of this movie is Ennio G. Castellari's father, if I'm not mistaken, who was like an ex-boxer. He didn't really do too many horror movies. This might be his only horror movie. It stars Ian McCulloch from Zombie and Contamination fame. Contamination from 1980 as well. Zombie being from the year previous. So he did like these three video nasties back to back. He kind of semi-prolific actor and these kind of movies for sure. Uh, kind of British guy. Uh, I enjoy him in all these movies. This one also has, um, geez, Dakar from Zombie, Donald O'Brien. And let, let me look at the other cast. I know there's probably going to be a couple other people in here. Okay. Um, Alexandra Delicoli. She's in the stuff. Sherry Buchanan, Peter O'Neill. Yeah, but Donald O'Brien is another kind of the big one here. So uh, essentially, this is the only kind of horror movie I can think of that mixes zombies and cannibals. Yeah. So the movie opens up in New York City, like all great cannibal films do. Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox, right? Um, and um, so so essentially what happens here um, is um, we have this kind of like this medical school and uh, there's pieces of the body are disappearing like you know hand here arm there then all of a sudden a heart disappears and all, all the people are like what the hell is going on a reporter gets involved or i, I can't think of an anthro no it's a uh, anthropologist is involved with this and then like a reporter starts to kind of dig under what the fuck's going on there's all these weird kind of sacrificial symbols yada 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 come to find out that this is happening all around the city if i'm not mistaken pieces of body parts are being taken and they find out that it's somebody that works there they're actually a cannibal which leads to one of the best dummy deaths of 1980 arm falling off after impact love it gotta love it so essentially uh ian mcculloch i don't remember why he's involved with it right these movies are all like that so uh basically they all go on this trip to this jungle they run into donald o'brien who seems shady for sure and dakar seems shady for sure and essentially they run into a bunch of cannibals that basically eat everybody in this fucking group in violent gory detail ripping out their guts but there's something more to fear than the cannibals. That's right. Weird zombies. These kind of crazy medical experiments that are all like, their faces are crazy. They got very memorable. If anybody's seen the zombies for Zombie Holocaust, everybody kind of remembers them. So essentially what happens is you figure out it's kind of a crazy, mad uh, doctor experiment. There's a lot of nudity and sleaze in this movie and just like gore and all that kind of shit. So uh, like, and, and, it, and honestly, the cannibals do most of the damage. The zombies don't really do that much except get killed themselves, right? Um, but anyways, this is a really fun mismatch of cannibals, zombies, and mad scientists. Um, Donald O'Brien's good at it. He's absolutely ridiculous. There's this point in this movie where he's like, oh, he's like, I'm going to change your brain with this. And I'm thinking, why? 
Like, he never even explains why the fuck he's doing this for the longest time. It's just like, it's that mentality, like Dr. Frankenstein mentality. It's, why are you doing this? Why? Because I can essentially stop people from dying or putting people in different bodies. And eventually, you know, he's crazy. He's a mad scientist. Um, it's gory. It's fun. And the score is fucking phenomenal. The score is better than this movie deserves. And I love Zombie Holocaust. And the score is better than this movie deserves. Uh, it'll get stuck in your head. I'll probably play it in the back here. Anyways, uh, yeah. If you're into, like, the Dr. Butcher MD cut, it's a little different. I think there's a weird opening in New York City, and it's a little shorter in other places. Not opening, but, like, an op- a very beginning opening. Like, it's a weird kind of thing, if I remember correctly. I watched the Zombie Holocaust cut, of course. But, uh, yeah, this is one of the... I mean, this is one of the most fun kind of movies from 1980, if you ask me. If you're into, like, sadism and no animal cruelty, then you gotta watch Zombie Holocaust for 1980. I like it. I think a lot of other people do, too. It's very fun. Yeah, check it out for sure. I already covered it. I probably did. I did a full-time review of it a while back before I was doing the weekly videos where I talk, you know, even a written review if you want to track it down. Uh, me talking about Zombie Holocaust, uh, Dr. Butcher MD. Uh, he makes house calls. Great tagline. Great trailer. Great promotional stuff for that one. But uh, if, you, if you're interested in that, you can probably find a more in-depth review about it. We're talking about the special features and everything like that. So, yeah. <laughs> There's an Ian McGullick interview on here. And he, he's pretty funny. He's just like, yeah, I just mean I don't think I've ever seen the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honest guy, but he seems to enjoy like the fans and be, he's cool about it. So yeah. Okay. Uh, the next one is one of the films from the hammer house of horrors. All 13 episodes were made in 1980. You're like, Dave, why isn't this open from synapse films? Because I watched the HD prints online. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely need to import the Blu-ray that they have overseas. But, uh, the first one I watched on here was, uh, geez, children of the full moon. That's right. And I also watched Silent Scream. That's coming up next to review with Jeremy. But Children of the Full Moon. And uh, you know what? These these Hammer House of Horrors are probably going to be super short reviews. They're 50 minutes long. Um, yeah. Boy. When I go to talk about this one, it barely, I barely remember anything about it. So essentially what we have here is a couple on the road. And uh, they basically stop off somewhere. Kind of maybe a car breaks down, which is very typical of these movies. They kind of have to stop at this weird place where this lady has a bunch of kids. And uh, and like over time, something weird happens where there's like an injury and nobody can remember exactly what happens. There's like a flash of a werewolf who's like, eh. And then like we cut two and like the, the reveal is like, uh, like I don't even. I don't even know like what happens in between the reveal and this when I go back to talk about this movie and like it's not horrible it's just very kind of lackluster and is, there we go so essentially what happens is like the wife realizes something's wrong the husband can't remember everybody's kind of gaslighting him yada 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 we have this big reveal at the very end which is kind of cool kind of crazy and pretty dark actually actually the way it ends like the last 15 minutes is dark um, and it's very rare for Hammer to touch werewolves I mean they only did one werewolf movie Curse of the Werewolf um, with Oliver Reed, which is a classic. This one not nearly as good. I like the makeup on the werewolf, although he's not perfect. I think he's cool. And the idea, the, the whole twist is, is kind of worth watching this one because like, oh, that's that's crazy. Um, but yeah, anyways, it's alright. It's uh, Children of the Full Moon. Uh, not as good as the other Hammer House of Horrors we watched, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I'll be watching all these throughout, you know, 1980 to pick them off, so all 13. And I, I've, I've seen a handful Maybe maybe all of them. I can't remember. I I, I don't think I've seen this one. It, it all depends, you know. I used to rent these as a kid when they were on the Elvira kind of thriller tape. So yeah, sorry for the short review, but uh, my brain is goo after watching all these 1980 movies. I can't can't uh, recall anything. Recall, recall, recall. That's a shout out if you guys don't know. Anyways, yeah, that's uh, Children of the Full Moon. All right, so this one is a uh, you ain't seen, and I'm picking it for you. 
as if it's a classic. It's from the Hammer House of Horrors, Silent Scream, starring Peter Cushing and Brian Cox. Got to be getting late for Peter Cushing, actually. Looking real gaunt and skinny in it. Right. So essentially, Brian Cox is a recently released prisoner. He kind of is a loser, let's be honest. He just kind of seems like he always fucks up. Brian Cox, this is a young Brian Cox performance. I mean, he would go mm-hmm. on to do so many movies from X-Men 2 to Super Troopers to... He's an X-Men? Yeah, he's the bad guy in X-Men 2. Who's the, he? He's the guy, uh, Stryker, that runs the Wolverine play. He's in 100 movies. This guy is one of the most prolific character actors. He's in the remake of The Ring. I mean, Brian Cox, he's in Red, the um, Jack oh, Catcher movie. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Brian Cox is always great. He's absolutely hilarious in most movies. This one... He's serious, too, but this one, he's really it's a really different kind of performance for him. And like I said, he's a loser, kind of prisoner's released, and um, when he was in prison, Peter Cushing, he, this is all told through exposition and dialogue, used to come and visit him and help him out and give him some money and everything like that. So, obviously, Brian Cox and his wife aren't doing too well. His wife waited for him. She's on welfare. She just lives in kind of like this shack and everything. And his wife is probably the most likable character, the one, only mm-hmm. one that I think you garner a real sympathy for. Right. Although, I do like characters like Brian Cox who are kind of like these gray area characters that aren't necessarily the, the most likable. Or mm-hmm. So, essentially what happens is Brian Cox starts to work for Peter Cushing after he got out and he shows him this this uh, he's a pet store owner and he shows him underneath like in his basement he has this elaborate pet store for all these uh, exotic animals and big cats and bears and a fucking wallaby and uh, of, of all creatures the most dangerous is the wallaby but so, <laughs> so, so and he, he shows him this idea that he has like these weird kind of like training of the animals with electric fences and everything and and uh, we're going to spoil this because it's 52 minutes. There's not that much to talk about if we don't. So right. it turns out uh, Peter Cushing was originally stated. He said he was a, um, a Jew that was held in the Nazi prison camps. But that's not what's going on. And if you guys would believe it or not, Peter Cushing is actually a, he's evil. Yeah. He actually was a Nazi. And he's preparing these weird experiments. And he needs a human experiment. So he tempts Brian Cox with a safe. And he catches himself caught no. in the silent scream trap. Yes. I don't think that Cushing says that he was specifically a Jew. I think he just says that he experienced the concentration camps of the Nazis. But Brian Cox just interprets it as it's that. A, that he's Jewish. And then it's like, yeah. you know, oh, I was a Nazi the whole time. My fear, I can walk. But when I was 10 years old, I rented this tape in the Elvira tapes. And I thought it was the coolest. Yeah, the great top, the big tatas. My grandfather used, used to say this to my You know why he's writing those tapes? Yeah. Because he's got those big tatas. That's what my grandfather Stop said. It. I mean, my grandpa's canceled. He's, he's been right. dead for since 2007. Um, and nobody's going to deny that Elvira has big tatas. Right, right. Okay, so anyways, um, I, I was just so blown away by this movie. I was just like, oh, he said he wasn't a Nazi. He said it was a Jew. But he was a Nazi and he's caught in the trap. I just, I love Tales from the Crypt as a kid. I love all these little short story anthology things. So I always remember this one in fondness. I always remembered it was Peter Cushing. So then like, I was like, we got to watch this one. Check this one. We love him. So I put it in and like, I was watching it. I was like, and then like halfway through, I was like, this isn't good. This is good as I remember. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. It's, it's a good solid episode of something mm-hmm. like this. It's just not ever going to break that three over five it's not going to be a it's gonna, it, at highest is six and a half out of ten and i was imagining like a seven seven and a half it was right like a smite disappointment i think that this is one of those things where if you have seen it before it's you know i remembered I, every detail that right like something right did, did, did you need to rewatch it um you know the the story is it, it's a simple easy to follow story um the 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 wife character is i think um 
probably the most compelling of the three main characters. Cushing's always good. Cushing's always good. Yeah, you know, he's and, and Brian Cox scenes. is a good performance. Like, because he, he's just not exactly the most he, he, likable character. Right? No, no. Cox has a great performance. The problem is, is that yeah, yeah, he's kind of a piece of shit character, and he gets trapped halfway through the movie, and so you're. Really following, you know, the wife and her sleuth and to find out what's going on here. I, I did like this moment where she goes to the police and mm-hmm. she's talking to this cop. And this cop's actually interested in the case. And then the cop tells him what he's doing to another cop. And the other cop's like, who gives a shit? He's an ex-criminal. Who cares? And he's like, you know what? You're right. Like, and he right. originally felt bad about, like, because he had a hangover. or he's, And then, like, later on he does start right. to investigate. But I don't know. Like, uh, there's a, the part that really is bothers him is the puppy. Yeah, the puppy well, is That's probably... kind of expected. They show it earlier with uh, the tiger, too. I can handle the tiger. Well, it I wasn't a real tiger it. or a real puppy. But it's yeah, just a yeah, fucked yeah. up situation because Brian Cox, again, like, he really kind of captures that kind of criminal mindset where he's not actually a horrible person, but he's still just like a degenerate. Like, well, you just... don't know what he went to, yeah, to I, jail I, for. He's it, probably a diddler. I doubt it. It's I'm going to spread thing. that rumor. Well, I mean, I don't <laughs> think that it's going to get very far. Do you know that Brian Cox's character in The Silent Scream was a diddler? What's the silent scream? Who are you? Why are you talking to me? What's what a is Cox? House <laughs> What's that? Is he a politician? Yeah, right. <laughs> Makes sense. It all checks out. Um, so we're going to read from Tarantino. Yeah, it's Tarantino. not in the other one. Because like I said, it was one. released on the Thriller tapes. So I wonder if this has all of them. I don't it know. It probably does. Rude Awakening would be in there too with Delham Elliott. So we had two and a half. Out of four. Out of four. So okay, right in the middle. Well, I should mention it's directed by Alan Gibson. Our cat's having a freak out over here chasing a bug. Uh, directed by Alan Gibson who did a couple of the Hammer Draculas, if I'm not mistaken. And Crescendo from 1970. And oh, I do like, like Crescendo. That's a fun... Wait, is Crescendo the one I'm thinking of with the pool? Yeah, yeah. With... Uh, um, the, the guy from Lethal Weapon 2, Diplomatic Immunity, Josh Ucklin. Oh, I was thinking You're Alan Rickman. No, wait. No, it's the one with the pool. The one with the pool. Yeah. Not Oliver Reed, though. It's the one without Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed is not in it. He's in the other one with the pool, and he's, like, bricked up in a... I'm going to read the review. Okay. <laughs> the Silent Scream. Two and a half, 1980, not rated, 50 minutes, directed... Alan Gibson, Peter Cushing, Brian Cox, Elaine Donnelly, She's and great. Anthony Carrick must be the, the police uh, officer. officer. So, Cushing is excellent in this better than usual Hammer House of Horror segment about a pet shop owner of a private zoo in his basement where the wild animals obey his every command. An interesting idea, fairly well handled. Although a longer running time might have helped flesh out the premise even more. Or a shorter running time. I was, it's kind of in a bad spot where it is it's not long spot. enough or not short enough to really be at the right pace. I, I, I think that it's um, too well, simple of an idea to have a long run time. I, I think with that, just the one character, they should have had a whole prison of them. That, yeah, that, that might work. Um, or maybe just develop the ideas a bit more. I, I don't know how you would do it with something as simple as this. Um, but if this was like a 30 minute anthology, oh, it would be great. You know what I mean? I, and this is coming from somebody who's not a big fan of anthologies. I love anthologies. Um, it kind of reminds me, I don't even say that, but the lesser version of, um, Blind Allies or is it Blind Allies or Blind Allies? I think it's Blind Allies, the Tales from the Crypt. It was made in the 1972 movie and it was made in the television show. Both are great, uh, versions of that story. I, I don't know why it reminds me of that. Just because the kind of tables are turned on the mean guy who's running the show. I mean, it's not even really that like that, but it kind of is to me. Okay. Um, three out of five, like it. Um, as far as it fits in the 1980 kind of timeline, it's really interesting because you have like 
this exploitation stuff like Anthropophagus and Cannibal Holocaust and even hardcore slashers starting out like Friday the 13th and, and even Terror Train with lesser hardcore. But then at the same time, you have these Hammer House of Horrors still continuing to try to like compete and everything. And it's just like, it, it's kind of like very, um, was Night Gallery? When did Night Gallery end? Like, you know what I mean? Like when did these other shows end like that? Like Night Gallery and, and stuff. So it's like, I guess it was kind of that soft. I know there was Thriller from the 80s and stuff. So I, I got to do some little bit more research. But it is kind of interesting piece in here, and it's nice to see Peter Cushing was still making horror things in 1980. One, the Hammer—it's it, just one season, 13 episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not like because I think like Twilight Zone was on for quite a bit. Well, Twilight Zone um, is the best anthology television show of all time, right? Well, in, in, objective, even if it's not even you know what I mean. Well, like, I don't know if you would call call these anthologies per se, but they're just short. They're so, short movies, kind of like uh, the Masters of Horror that came out in the yeah. two thousand five and two thousand six, mm-hmm. where they had the different directors. The different directors, you yeah. have Outer Limits. They're not even shorts because technically over forty five minutes now counts as a feature length. It used to be one hundred and five minutes. Well, so they're shorts for their time. It's just now kind of like the Egyptians weren't short for their time. How tall were the Egyptians? I don't know. They say those pyramids are small. No, they're 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 quite huge. Have you seen them? But the tunnels are small. The, well, yeah. I mean, what what's going to go down there? They're all dead. You just shoot them down the shaft. All right, all right that's not what's going on. Oh. Okay. <laughs> what are you rating this? Yeah, I don't know, like a three, two and a half, three. It's very. Nah. And the ending of this? Let's slight spoiler here. I'd get out of that fucking house. There's no way that he electrocuted that whole entire fucking house. Well, you know, they, they set it up with um, him getting the keys from the coat, which he never fucking moves, even though, like, six people keep seeing that fucking coat. He should have moved that right away. Well, well, the keys from the coat, but also the, uh, like, oh, I didn't pay the phone, though. We don't have a working phone. You know, so, like, that was at the very beginning, yeah. so he, they can't call for help. And then, uh... Doesn't that kind of make you so mad, like, how fucking out of uh, Brian Cox's league his wife is? Like she's nice, she's pretty, she's smart. It's just like, like why are you dating like 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 a diddler? I don't get it. He's not a diddler. That's not. That's, <laughs> what are you? What are you? Fucking Casey Anthony's defense attorney. He's <laughs> like, I don't know this guy. Let's make up a bunch of shit. About right. Him. I, I just go. I'm just, yeah. Right. Um. So three out of five. Three. Out, yeah. Three out of five. Two and a half out of five. What's next week? Oh, man, I didn't think about this. I mean, we could do a 1980. We could do whatever. I mean. Do you want to watch something from 1980? And I, I, I might watch Friday the 13th without you, because technically today's Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. And it's really, like, opportune time to watch it. I don't know if you guys noticed, but we filmed two episodes back-to-back, because I'll be gone for a week or so. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they'll pick up on it, you know. I mean, they won't see this. By the time they watch this episode, I'll already be back for, like, two weeks. Um. So what do you want? What, what's the one that we I said? We, we said no to Mama Dracula. Um, I mean, we can watch Mama Dracula. I ain't watching Mama Dracula. The cover looked like shit. Dude, the, he, he saw that there was a movie from 1980 with Louise Fletcher called Mama. You saw the title first and started laughing. And then you were like, Louise Fletcher? Yeah. But um, there was one that I thought that like maybe I would watch. The Fog? Altered, no. Al- altered States might be up your alley. Nah, this sounds like Altered Beast. It's um, not Altered Beast. It was made before. It's 1980. I would totally watch a movie based off Altered Beast. Um... Rise from your grave. <laughs> Is there a wolf dragon thing? A bear in one level? I don't uh, we're not talking about altered uh, beast here. We, we could. This could be a thing now. Um, I th- I thought that there was a 1980 movie and I'm like, you know, oh, I should watch this. It'd be kind of fun. But I don't know. I think it's The Fog. No, it's not The Fog. I don't like Carpenter. I don't okay, I don't want to say that because then I'm going to like make everybody The Fog's a bit it. different from... Oh, The Changeling. 
It's a changeling. Yeah. George C. Scott. It's got a rubber ball. It's a I classic. mean, it wasn't the changeling. It was something else. But yeah, we can do the changeling. I mean, who doesn't like George C. Scott? He's okay. I mean, I only like him because of that strange love. Let's be real. Um, look how are you pointing at yourself after bad mouth and George C. Scott right there? <laughs> I think you are. Anyways, well, you know, we'll just go with the changeling for now. Um, but there was one that I thought looked kind of neat, and I, I can't just can't remember what it was because I just like was like skimming through the Wikipedia article on some 1980 horror movies, and then he said no to five of them. And then the I one, said no to Mama Dracula, which then, I'm going to watch anyways. And then I was like, oh, this one sounds fantastic. I already watched that one. You might kind of like it, but, you know. What one? Motel Hell? No, no, no I've seen Motel Hell. Um, was it? I, I can't remember. It takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. The spooky one? Close Encounters of the Spooky Kind? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you might have liked that one. I might have liked that one. That was fun. So we'll watch for Changeling. Yeah, that's that's... Probably the best movie that you haven't seen. There ain't like, can't we watch like Heathers or something? Isn't that 1980? This is over. All right, bye. All right, guys, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that stuff. So essentially last week I asked you guys your top 10 favorite horror films from 1980. I ended up taking, I'm not going to read everybody's list, okay? Basically I had 29 contributions uh, to that list um, to, and I made a master list. I'm not going to tell, you guys will find out what my top 20, 25 are at the end. Anyways, but essentially guys, you guys are going to find out what, the, the, what everybody put out of the 29 list. Some people put one, some people put five. Most people put 10 because there is legitimately, like, I mean, 1980 is a super strong year. So anyways, I'll read the comments before all that. So Elk Vomit. Dave, I don't remember, know if you remember, but I've been trying to recommend you Samo Hong movies for a good two or three years now. Hell, I do remember. Uh, Samo was in Peking Opera School in Hong Kong as a kid alongside Jackie Chan, Yoon Bio, Corey Yoon, and Ying Wa. Someone picked Godzilla, Mothra, and King of Deer for you to watch, but they didn't give you the title, lol. I believe what they are looking for is the excellent GMK, Godzilla, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack. It is. Also, I can't wait for you to check out Knockabout. Samo, uh, Samo directs and co-stars in it alongside Yamo Bao and one of the, my absolute favorite martial art actors, Beardy, a.k.a. Brian Lewin. Uh, okay, so Milo169. Didn't realize there are so many good horror films from 1980. Looking forward to your 1980 reviews. Intro is awesome as always. Thank you very much. I, I really enjoy doing the intros. They are time consuming, but I love it. RB, love the edit. You're really good at that. RIP to 1994. I'll miss Say You Love Satan with the Cranberries playing. Thank you. Uh, see, when the I go to the old movies, like there's so many movies in 1980 with iconic scores from The Shining to Friday the 13th to uh, House on the Edge of the Park, Cannibal Apocalypse to, of course, Cannibal Holocaust. And, and like, I'm sitting there thinking zombie Holocaust. And I'm like, man, I have to use scores from 1980 because they're so perfect. But when I hit like the late, later 90s or something, I'm like, I'm thinking of all like, maybe I could just add in a one hit wonder or like 1970. I was like, man, Black Sabbath has got to be here. Like Black Sabbath fits perfect, like 1970. So I just felt like I, I, there's just sometimes the score calls me, sometimes a song calls me. So I felt like the Cranberries were perfect for 94. So Zach Nolan, Cruising has got to be in your top five. I'd love to see a review of Sorcerer. I really think you would love it. My Tube, Sorcerer is a movie I think Dave would really enjoy. I've been meaning to watch Sorcerer for fucking 10 years now. It looks great. Um, yeah, it looks great. Mike Loins, Motel Hell is always a fun watch, man, for sure. Nick Moore, I hope YouTube doesn't delete this comment again. Touch wood. Here's my top 10 best horror features in the year uh, of our Lord 1980. Now, if you guys like said stuff about the movies, I will read them. But if it's just a list, I'm not going to bother reading them. So, 
John Carpenter here from one to ten. John Carpenter is the fog because I love me some ghostly leopards. Arr, shiver me timber. Seriously, it was my intro to horror. Uh, the horror grandmeister. Uh, Peter Maddox, the changeling, sad yet creepy. Lucia Faulty, City of Living Dead. I always waited to check it out till I decided to take advice of a certain Mr. Parker and found I loved it. I love City of Living Dead. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. You were always the caretaker. Need I say more? No. Dario Jensen's Inferno. Pretty solid follow up to Suspiria. Um, Emmett Alston's New Year's Evil. Love the theme song and the central baddie. Charles Kaufman's Mother's Day, one of the better trauma releases. Roger Spodwood's Terror Train, Who Doesn't Love Murder and Mayhem on a Train. Alan Ratcliffe's Death Ship, on a clunky side, yet still enjoyable. Better brush your German, sir, if you and Jeremy are planning to cruise in the near future. Jeremy actually went on a cruise to Alaska recently, so that's why we had to record Silent Scream last week. So Ule, Ule Lumel's The Boogeyman, put not your faith in mirrors. Yikes. <laughs> and then he has questions what's your least favorite method of travel if it's over a five hour drive driving i i love driving maybe five hours but oh anything over five fuck it man i'll fall asleep i just don't like it so it's driving um haven't really taken many boats or anything i mean i've been on boats a lot growing up but it wasn't like to travel somewhere and like i've been on a train maybe once just short distance uh to travel um and I've been on a plane a couple times, so it's got to be car, I guess. I don't know. Um, would you say, uh, would said method of travel be a good setting for a whore flick? I mean, any method of travel is a good setting for a whore flick, right? I mean, you, uh, train whore is great. Uh, airplane whore is scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, car whore is great. Road whore is always a good one. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of movies like that. Three, if you had the time and money, would you pursue a PhD in horror? Real degree, apparently. Your show is always the highlight of my week. Thanks, sir. Many thanks. Thank you. Um, yes, I would. If I had the money and time, I would have a lot of college degrees and shit that I was interested in. Why not? Um, William Scott, I don't know if this is spam or not. I recommend Dr. Onamaga, the greatest spellcaster for bringing back my lost partner. I don't know what the fuck that is going on there. Jose Santiago, damn, wow, killer intro. Thank you. Ken Coakley, I didn't realize there were so many great horror movies in 1980. Jason Bobby, 1980 is an amazing year for horror and so hard to rate a list. Um, David Becker, Regarding the big sweat, that 45-minute car chase is ripped off from the original Gone in 60 Seconds by H.B. Halicki. It must have been intended for the overseas market. Um, yeah, um, I heard, uh, when I listened to special features on the big sweat, they mentioned that he ripped from Gone in 60 Seconds, but I thought they were talking about another film. I, I should have put, I was just dumb, not paying attention, of course, because the movie has a 45-minute great car chase, and it's the only thing great about the fucking movie, so I should have fucking figured I'm very dumb, and I have not seen the original Gone in 60 Seconds. I know, sue me, right? Um, and I basically mentioned that it said it sounds great. And he says, you definitely need to check it out. It's a lot of fun. And I believe this might be the same in David Becker from land of the creeps podcast, which is a really solid, good podcast. I've been listening to here and there when I have time at work and I like it. Um, all the hosts are really knowledgeable. They love film. They talk pretty in depth about movies. So that's the same Dave Becker. Check him out. Good stuff. Rick Romano, dude, you need a lap dance. I don't know. What's that in reference to? All right, I just need a lap dance, apparently. James D. Cokes. I'm rewatching a lot of 1980s movies, ready to do an updated list, maybe for the 1980 pod. Herbert West. Wow, there's so many great flicks in 1980. There are a lot of them I haven't heard of. That's why I really love watching your channel. You come up with the unknown stuff all the time. Thank you. I mean, I'm just going down a master list. So here we go. Um, I'm going to go over the uh, list of all the movies contributed to the best of 1980 from you guys. I had 29 contributors. So I'll go over the list of contributors. Dustin Nelson, Matt Cloud, Robert Mazzola, Nathan Thomas Melander, Jeff Chitty, Crystal, Christopher Bickle. Uh, yeah, 
Bickle, Jason Hammond, Jonathan Knight, Barry O'Connell, Jason Willard, Tom Brooker, John Devlin, Ryan Logston, Jordan, Jordan Bibby, John Wilhelm, Troy Haworth, Vincent Panera, uh, Tim Walker, James D. Cox, Norberto Aligari, um, Salvador Funkenstein, Calvin McCarthy, Milo169, RB Hudson, Smudge, Nick Mua, Ken Coakley, Jason Bovey. So here we go. Now, I'm going to start at the top. I know it's anticlimactic, but I'll just kind of break this down for you. And uh, I did by points. So you get 10 movies. If your number one gets 10 points, your number two gets nine points, etc., until your number 10 gets one point. I add all those points up to come up with what's on the top of the list. So no surprise, um, I have two lists for you. I have the point list, and then I have movies ranked at how many lists they made. So we'll do the point list first. Coming in at 183 uh, points is The Shining. No surprise there. Number two, coming in at 143 points, tied with the third spot. So number two and three are tied, both at 103 points, is The Fog by John Carpenter and Cannibal Holocaust. So there we go. Cannibal Holocaust making the second, third spot. I love it. Number four, 141 points. City of the Living Dead by Lucio Fulci. That's right. Number five, coming at 129 points. Friday the 13th. Classic. Number six, at 105 points. Pretty big drop off there is Maniac. Love it. Um, number seven, coming in at 90 points, Dario Argento's Inferno. Number eight, coming at 73 points, The Changeling. Number nine, coming in at 56 points, is Alligator. And then number 10, coming in at 44 points, is Motel Hell. So to do the top 10 over, we have The Shining, The Fog, Cannibal Holocaust, City of the Living Dead, Friday the 13th, Maniac, Inferno, Changeling, Alligator, Motel Hell. Did anybody have those top 10? Was that anybody's distinct top 10 right there? So then following in at number 11 and 12, both with 39 points, Humanoids from the Deep and Fade to Black. Number 13, 27 points, Dressed to Kill. 14, 23 points, Mother's Day. 15, 22 points, Terror Train. 16, 21 points, Altered States. 17 points. I meant coming at 17, 20 points, House on the Edge of the Park. 18 with 19 points, Nightmare City. 19, 17 points, Christmas Evil. 20, 16 points, Hell of Living Dead. 21 10 points, Prom Night. 22, 9 points, Cruising. 23, uh, 8 points without warning. 24, 8 points. Tied with uh, Anthropophagus with 8 points. Then we have 25 with 7 points, Encounters of Spooky Kind. 26, also 7 points, Cannibal Apocalypse. 27, uh, 6 points, Night of the Hunted. 28, 6 points, Don't Answer the Phone. 29, Zombie Holocaust with 5 points. 30, Night of the Death with 5 points. Uh, 31, New Year's Evil with 5 points. 32, with 2 points, Virus. Also, 33, 34, 35, 36, all two points. So, Virus, Night of the Demon, Death Ship, Contamination, and Boogeyman all have two points. And then the last two, Macabre with one point at 37, and Eaten Alive with one point at 38. So, there we go. And now I'm going to break it down by list. So, 38 movies. Out of, so, look, at I took 29 people and, a, and only 38 movies. So, that's not a huge spread, right? So it's kind of a consensus here. So basically the two movies at top, if we go by list, movies that made list, what's on the top? Here we go. 38 movies here. Uh, tied for the one and two spot, making 21 list of the 29 is The Fog and The Shining. And then we have with 20 list at three, City of the Living Dead. Uh, and then um, number four, 19 list, Cannibal Holocaust. So the top four are the same. 
And then number five and six, uh, both making 18 list, Maniac Friday 13th. And then seven, eight, nine, all making 13 list here, Motel Hell, Inferno, and Alligator. And then number 10, making 11 list, The Changeling. So we have the same, do we have the same top 10? I believe we actually do. So we have the same top 10, just in different order for that. Um, Yeah. Wait, yeah. Is it the same? I believe it is. Yeah, it is the same. So, and then after that, we have nine list humanoids from the deep at eleven at number eleven. At number twelve, we have make an eight list terror train. At number thirteen, seven list fade the black. Um, number fourteen, six list dress to kill. Fifteen, five list nightmare city. Also on five list is Mother's Day at sixteen. House on the edge of the park. Seventeen, five list. And then eighteen prom night with four list. Nineteen hell of the living dead on four list. Twenty Christmas evil on four list. Then we have altered states making three list at twenty one. Uh, zombie holocaust making two list at twenty two. Don't answer the phone. Also on two list twenty three. Boogeyman two list twenty four. Anthropophagus two list uh, twenty five. And then we have a bunch of one list tiers um 26 27 tw- all the way down to 38 are all one um so 26 to 38 are a tie making one list we have without warning virus night of the hunted night of the demon night of death new year's evil macabre encounters the spooky kind eaten alive death ship cruising contamination cannibal apocalypse so yes that is the 1980 breakdown so uh yeah again i could send you probably those lists if you're interested and stuff like that so next week since we know what the best movies in 1980 are by the consensus of 29 list not my list not included what is the worst horror film in 1980 so it would be funny like we'll see all the list right there of like the top 15 movies and then like somebody will answer like maniacs the worst in 1980 you're like okay sure it is but that always happens you know i guess it's all people's opinions so what is the worst horror film in 1980 let me know and i guess um you know this is going to be a weird cut because normally i cut to the update here and i I show you magic basically i shoot that outro earlier yeah editing and uh i really ought to stop doing that i always shoot the update and i was like let's get back to the video and then i'm like yeah it's two seconds what the fuck i don't to say at the video there's no video left but anyways that's just the way it's going to be um a creature of habit so we're going to get into the update here normally a show but it's only three movies um yeah i got stuff coming but you know it is what it is some weeks are bigger than others first up is the amazing extreme prejudice by walter hill one of the best directors and I think my favorite movie by Walter Hill. Amazing cast here. This is a Vestron release. Great price on it, too. Hell, you got Nick Nolte, Powers Booth, William Forsythe. Um, who else is in this movie? Michael Ironside, Clancy Brown, Tom Lister, Mary Al- Alonzo Ch- Chicada. How do you say her last name? I always say her name wrong. Alonzo. It's Conchita Alonzo. She's great in it, too, man. Everybody's in this fucking movie. Great movie. Matt Mulhern. Um, if you've never seen this, I can't wait to watch the new Blu-ray. I had a Japanese import. I liked it so much. So I bet it looks really great. Oh, we got a commentary with C. Courtney Joyner. I love that. Henry Park, I'm not too familiar, but Courtney Joyner should sure do a great job. He always does a great job on the film detector releases. Next up, we have Wormwood Apocalypse. I remember enjoying the first one. It's been a long time. It feels like this first movie came out like 10 years ago. Maybe it did. Anyways, the first one's really fun Australian zombie flick. Um, entertaining. I'm going to check out the second one for 2022. And then last up, uh, not certainly least, we have the Arrow edition of tale of two sisters really classy classic um korean i believe it is a korean ghost story um ghost story horror movie psychological thing anyways really cool movie had uh um the dvd now i have it on blu-ray good stuff um from arrow video anyways uh yeah we're gonna have a weird cut here because i'm a jackass okay guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one